Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open to Proverbs chapter 4. Uh, as I was mentioned earlier, this summer we're walking through the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs is probably the Bible's most famous book on wisdom. And over the last several weeks, uh, you've had a variety of, of uh, preachers, and so we've kind of given you a few different definitions of wisdom, and hopefully you can see the common thread that's, that's being you know, woven throughout all of them. But the definition that I'm going to be functioning off of today is that wisdom is skillfully living according to God's ways in the nuances of life skillfully living according to God's ways in the nuances of life. Because the issues of life are often very nuanced, aren't they? I mean, we, often, we really like, like clear-cut things. Many of us are either-or kind of people. But in the nuances of life, it's like, should I hire that person? Should I marry that person? Or should I have married that person? How, how much screen time should I give my kids? Like, which verse do you go to for that? What, what, what major should I choose? What job should I take? What city should I live in? Should I go on a church plant? Should I not go on a church plant? All of these things. Life is incredibly nuanced, where there's not like a clear-cut, easy-to-define decision. It's not like in the categories of absolute moral right or moral wrong. It's, it's in these nuances. It's kind of in the in-betweens, where the moral rules don't exactly apply. Because life is full of those things, and it's also true that, that even the right thing at the wrong time can be a terrible thing. Here, for example, I was biking the other day and I come across a, um, some graffiti that had been painted on a concrete column and it just said, go faster. It had a smiley face, right? I'm like, it's pretty good advice. It's next to a trail. I mean, who wouldn't want to go faster? Like, that's the point. You're running, you're biking, you should go faster. Like, it's probably the shortest motivational speech that's ever been recorded. You don't need a teleprompter for that. Go faster. Thanks for the advice, Mr. Graffiti Artist. I appreciate that. That's generally good advice, except that where this graffiti was, it was on a column right next to a really sharp turn. <laughs> where... If in that moment I would have followed that good advice, go faster, if I would have followed that advice in that moment, I would have likely ended up off the trail, like tangled in my bike, injured, right? Like good advice, wrong time. We need wisdom in the nuances of life. You see, wisdom isn't just having the right information. We can think that smart people are wise, but that's not the case at all. Wisdom isn't just having the right information. It isn't just knowing the right things. What wisdom is, is wisdom is knowing how to use what you know when the answer isn't obvious. We need wisdom. And so this morning, as we are just the third week into our series in Proverbs, what we're gonna, the question we're gonna answer this morning is, where does the character that accords with wisdom come from? 
Or maybe another way to put it would be, what causes wise living? Where does a wise life come from? And we're going to see the answer to this question from Proverbs chapter 4. Jump down to verse 20 in Proverbs 4. Hear, hear what Solomon says. He says, my son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. Now notice, real quick, this isn't particularly going to answer that question yet. We're going to get there. But notice real quick, it's easy for us to kind of gloss by this, but notice that a father is speaking to a son, telling him the way of wisdom. A father is speaking to his son. And unless we think that this is just an isolated event, what we actually see is that this has happened across generations. Look back to verse 3 in Proverbs 4. Solomon says, When I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother, he taught me and said, Your heart must hold on to my words. You see, this has been happening for generations where the fathers have seen their sons and they have taken the initiative to impart wisdom to their son. You see, the basic starting point of generations of wisdom is the older generation passing on the wisdom of the Lord to the next generation. This is an older man who has walked with God who had a father who was an older man who walked with God, having experienced the joy of wisdom and the folly and the pain of folly, he's turning around and looking at the generation coming up behind him, passing on the wisdom that he has, which tells us just a few things. First, for those of us who are young, now, young is relative, right? Like, uh, I'm older than some of you, and I'm younger than some of you, right? Young, young is relative, but it's, it's unlikely, it's very unlikely that you are the oldest person that you know. That's very unlikely, which means that you're at least younger than somebody and you're likely probably older than somebody. But for those of us who are young, here, here's, what, here's what we need to see is that we must, it is imperative that we listen to the godly voices of the older believers in our midst. That is absolutely crucial. That yes, we are a church with a focus on the next generation. We say that a lot. Like we, we, have, a, we have a huge focus on reaching college students, on reaching the next generation for the glory of God because when they leave this place, it is incredibly strategic that they will take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Yes, we are a church who is focused on the next generation, but make no mistake, we need the voices of the previous generation. We need spiritual mothers and fathers. We need watchers at the gate. We need people who have walked with God for years, who have seen his faithfulness in a variety of things that we have yet to experience. See, it's probably a wise thing that if you are the youngest person in the room, that you talk the least. That would be a wise thing. 
instead of instead of spouting off the supposed wisdom that you have, instead of starting some podcast as though you have something to contribute to the world quite yet, right? One of my favorite one of my favorite authors said that uh, one of his spiritual mentors told him that if he ever wrote a book before he turned forty, that this guy was going to break his legs. <laughs> and I was like, man, what what great advice? Because what he was saying was like, wait until you get a little bit older, and then you have something worth saying. Those of us who are young, we need to learn to listen way more often than we speak. And the echo chamber of social media does not help that we have all these platforms to give our own opinions and listen less. We need to be people who listen to the wisdom of the older generation. Now, it's also true that age doesn't automatically equal wisdom, right? Like age doesn't automatically equal wisdom. It's not simply the fact that, that older people are automatically wiser. Yes, they may have lived more life, but what this assumes is that this older voice that is speaking to the younger voice has walked with God and actually has something to pass on, actually has something to share. And so while those of us who are younger need to have ears that listen, what we also see here is that those of you who are older need to have mouths that speak. We need to have ears that listen. But those of you who are older, who've been walking with God, who have seen his faithfulness, you have a responsibility and an obligation to open your mouth to not sit on the sidelines and remain silent, but to open your mouth and pass on to the next generation the wisdom that the Lord has given you. Use your voice for encouragement. Use your voice for teaching. Don't use your voice for silence. And don't use your voice for criticism. Don't just sit back and whine about not knowing your place in a next generation church. I t you want to know your place in a next generation church? Here's what it is. First, be an example. Be an example to the young people around you. Live a life of godly zeal, of godly wisdom. Be saturated with the word of God and set before us as young people an example of a life to aspire to. Oh God, let it not be that the most passionate believers in our midst be the young people but that it would actually be the older people who have seen God work over years and years and decades. That the older people in our midst would be the most passionate worshipers. That the older people in our midst would be the most joyful. That the older people in our midst would be the first to jump in when there's a need. Set before us as an example of what it looks like to persevere in the faith into your 50s into your 60s, into your 70s, so that the college students who come in here go, wow, I wanna be like that when I grow up. So first, set an example, and second, take the initiative. Do you see that from verse 20? This isn't the son saying, hey dad, do you have anything for me? Like this isn't necessarily the son seeking out the father, Though maybe that happened, right? No, this is the father recognizing his place 
and taking the initiative to seek out the son. Older believers, take the initiative. Seek out the young in our midst. There's a lot of young people here. Seek them out. Believe it or not, <laughs> they are more afraid of you than you are of them. I promise you that, right? They are way more afraid of you than you are of them. Seek out the young people. Did you know that it's, uh, maybe, maybe if you remember back to your college days, generally the, the dishes that, you know, like, like the silverware we use when we're in college is really light, right? College students would love to eat dinner with heavy silverware. <laughs> to walk on carpet that has like padding underneath it, right? To sit on a couch that you don't have to wonder what happened on this. Or like, what is living in it, right? Like, seek out the young people. Invite them into your home and into your life. And impart the wisdom that God has given you over decades of following him. That's not even the main point. We're getting to the main point. But notice here in, in verses 21 and, 20 and 21 that he doesn't say, obey my words. And he doesn't say memorize them. What does he say? He says to keep them within your heart. Why? For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. And then verse 23, this, this, is, this is the point of the whole sermon. If you want to live a life of wisdom, verse 23, guard your heart above all else for it is the source of of life. You see, if you want to live a life of wisdom, it isn't first a matter of your actions. The life of wisdom is not first an issue of your actions, it's an issue of your affections. Or, or another way to put it would be what you love determines how you live. That's what verse 23 is saying. When it comes to wisdom, what you love determines how you live. Now, you see, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's, it's talking about something very different than what we often think about. When we think of the heart, we might think of Valentine's Day or we might think of the cutout or we might think of, you know, like we, we often think of the emotions. We often think of like the feelings, like, like the heart is the emotions and the head is the thoughts. But in the Bible, when the Bible talks about the heart, it, it's referring to something completely different. It's not that, it's not that the, the heart isn't, the emotions, but it's so much more than that. When we see the heart referred to in scripture, what the Bible is saying is the heart is the, the central place of your devotions. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the core of your convictions. The heart is the orienting center of the inner life. It's the sum total of the inner life. See, when the Bible talks about the heart, what it's talking about is your heart is whatever you believe that you need to live life joyfully. That's your heart. It's whatever gives you the, your greatest motivation. It's whatever gives you the greatest sense of hope, the greatest sense of meaning and purpose, the sum total of the inner life, thoughts, emotions, feelings, everything that motivates you is the heart. Now you say, what does my heart have to do with wisdom? Everything. Our hearts have everything 
to do with wisdom. The center of our affections has everything to do with wisdom. And here's why. Because whatever your heart has decided is your ultimate love will determine the way that you make every decision that you make. Every single one. Whatever is the ultimate motivation of your heart, devotion of your heart, conviction of your heart, will determine the way that you make every decision that you make. It'll determine every action that you take, every word that you say. So if you want to live a life of wisdom, according to Proverbs, you need to be very aware of what is controlling your inner life. And here's how this works. Let's say that your children aren't just a good thing, but they're an ultimate thing. That that their happiness, that their success, that their love of you isn't just a good thing, but it's an ultimate thing for you. Then, then Then what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen is that you're either going to be completely overbearing because you need them to be perfect. You're gonna discipline them over every little thing that they do. You're gonna sign them up for every activity you can sign them up. You're, you're, gonna, you're gonna lay so much weight on them because you need them to be perfect because they're the ultimate affection of your heart. You, you'll either do that or you actually won't discipline them at all because you'll be so afraid that if you do anything that displeases them that they'll end up not loving you. If they're, the, if they're not just a good thing, but an ultimate thing, then maybe for you, If you aren't able to get pregnant, you'll never be able to be happy for your friends that are. If children aren't just a good thing, but an ultimate thing, you'll only ever be able to be happy for other people who are getting pregnant only when you are then able to. See, if, let's say your image or the the, the way that people think about you isn't just something you're aware of, but it's an ultimate thing in your heart, then you're gonna be way too concerned about how you look You're going to spend way too much time, way too much money on your appearance, on how you look. Or maybe it's not like necessarily your appearance, but if if your image and what people think of you is an ultimate thing in your heart, then what you're going to do is you're either going to talk way too much. And here's why. Here's how that has to do with your image. What you're going to do is you're going to be in conversations. You're going to be constantly trying to think of how can I turn this conversation back around to me? How can I turn this conversation back around so I can say something good about myself so that they might think that I'm great? You'll either do that or you'll be crushingly shy, right? Because you're, you'll be so afraid that you'll say or do something that somebody might not like that you'll just kind of like pull back and you go, oh, I'm a little introverted, I'm a little shy. But really at the end of the day, for you, if your image isn't just something you're aware of but is an ultimate thing, you'll sink into the shadows and be totally anonymous. Or maybe, maybe for you, it's, uh, it's marriage. Or let, let's, let's, say, let's say relationships, romance, being loved. Everyone wants to be loved. It's a good thing. But if relationships or marriage becomes an ultimate thing to you, then, <laughs> then what's going to happen is you're either going to be way too picky, way too picky. You're going to have your list of things, They have to like these things. They have to have this sense of humor. They have to have this kind of, they have to, all this stuff. And that person is gonna gonna have to be Jesus and maybe not even then because he wasn't all that rich, right? It's like, it's it's gonna be unattainable 
You're gonna have such, you're gonna be so picky that hardly anybody's gonna be able to meet your standards. Either that, or you probably won't have hardly any standards. And because you're so desperate to be loved, that you'll end up with people you probably shouldn't be with. And you'll stay with people you probably shouldn't stay with. Because at the end of the day, you don't love them, you love being loved. Or let's say you do get married and marriage is the ultimate thing for you, then you're gonna be totally overbearing. You're gonna be totally emotionally dependent because, what you, because they have to be your everything. Or maybe it's money or the appearance of success. It's not just a good thing, it's an ultimate thing then you will go into incredible amounts of debt to project the kind of lifestyle that you wish you had or that you wish other people thought that you had. You'll make compromises in your job so you can advance in your company so you can achieve a level of status. Or let's, maybe it's just your work is your ultimate thing. You'll totally overwork. You'll say no to your friends, to your family, to your relationships for the sake of getting in more hours and you'll totally put your spiritual, emotional, and physical health in danger simply because of your work. I mean, I, I could, I've, I've, got, I've got 11 things, right? But you get the point, right? Where it's like, <laughs> whatever is the ultimate love of your heart will determine how you make every decision that you make. And what Proverbs is saying is that if you wanna live a life of wisdom then you must pay attention to what your heart is most dutifully committed to. Because the reality is, is that what you love determines how you live. Do you remember that? Do you remember the, the first line of that old hymn? Come thou fount of every blessing. Do you remember that line? Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Tune my heart. You see, our hearts are like instruments. It's true. Our hearts are like instruments. Musicians will go to great lengths to keep their instruments in tune. That's why most weeks at the end of every message, while whoever is preaching is praying, you're gonna hear Seth or Josh, whoever it is, you're like they're, they're plucking away at their strings back there. And you're like, what are they doing? They're tuning their instruments. Like, because any proper musician knows that no matter, like, no matter the material or the quality of your instrument, any proper musician knows that before you start playing, you need to tune your instrument. Now, here's the thing. Your tuning will only be as good as your point of reference. Your tuning will only be as good as your point of reference. Here's what I mean. Every once in a while, I'll pretend to be a musician and then I'll, uh, I'll listen to Josh or to David play the cello and that's a, that's a humbling thing. But um, every once in a while, I'll pretend to be a musician and what we have in our, in our living room I'm not gonna sing you a song, okay? Uh, our living room, we have this old piano that I, it's probably not an exaggeration to say that it hasn't been tuned for 20 years, okay? <laughs> uh, it's terrible. And so your tuning is only as good as your point of reference. And so what I did this morning was I tuned my instrument to that piano. Let's see how it goes. Ha, ha, ha. 
Yep. So, not great. That's supposed to be a G. Now, here's what happens, okay? Not only, you don't even have to be a musician, okay, to know that that's bad, right? Like, and if you've been to like a middle school band concert, you know that sounds pretty close. And so, yeah, that's pretty close. When the saints go marching in, we've been there. So, <laughs> so not only does that sound bad, which is true, which is bad enough, right? Not only does that sound bad, but it also offends the instrument, if this had a personality, the instrument would be offended. Like, what are you doing to me? And its maker. Because whoever was at C.F. Martin and Company did not design this guitar to sound that way. No way. It was like, I put in how many hours of work for you to turn that into garbage, right? Because I tuned it to an insufficient point of reference to a terrible piano that hasn't been tuned for 20 years. And so because of that, because your tuning is always contingent on your point of reference, what we do is we don't tune it to some other thing, but we tune it to something that has perfect pitch, like this, like this little tuner right here. That you just clip on the top. I've never done this in public, so we'll see how this goes. There we go, we're getting to it. You do it repetitively till it stops, then you go to the next one. This is how you tune a guitar, by the way. For those of you wanting to learn, it takes time, it takes attention. You don't just do it once. You don't just pluck the string once and go, I'm good, and I'll just move on. No, you keep going over and over and over until it's, it's, until it's coming into a chord with its point of reference. We're getting there. We're halfway there. This is what Seth's doing while I'm praying, right after this message. Now you know. So as my point of reference is set against my untuned guitar, you go back. This should be close. Ah. That's more like it, right? And you go, ah, that's in tune. Why? Because my point of reference was accurate. My point of reference wasn't janky. My point of reference was perfect. It, was, it wasn't this thing that had like not been tuned. But here's what you and I do. Here, here's what you and I do. I shouldn't have taken that off. Here's what we do. We walk around, walk around and we go, we, we, we have our point of reference be these fickle, things in our life where, where oh, 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 my, my child, what do you want? What do you want? What would make you happy? What, 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 what are you really interested in right now? How, how can I make you like me? Oh, sorry, boss. Yep, I'll get that done. I'll stay late. I'm going to do that. And then, oh, oh, you, you think I need to look this way? Or that's the style right now? Or, or how will they think that I'm attractive? And oh, what do I need to do with my investments again? And I need to really get really concerned about the stock market. And then my politics, like you don't like my politics. And so we're going to have an issue. And then I'm going to change this that maybe you'll like me. And then I'm just going around. And before you know it, like if wisdom is skillfully living according to God, God's ways and the nuances of life, when it comes to that, your life will sound like that. And then you'll wonder why it's so hard to make decisions. You'll wonder why when you come to forks in the road, 
or the answer isn't obvious, you wonder why it is so incredibly difficult to know what to do. But don't you see? It's because you've been tuning your heart to fickle points of reference. You could say that when, that when an instrument is in tune, it rings with the wisdom of beautiful music. Is your heart in tune? Is your heart in tune to the things of God, to the wisdom of the Lord? You say, how, how do I tune my heart? You see, you'll notice what I didn't do in tuning that guitar. What I didn't do in trying to tune that guitar was I didn't look at the guitar and yell at it and go, don't be A flat. I didn't do that. Like, don't be this. No, you tune an instrument by constantly beholding the right note. Not by constantly telling it not to be the wrong note. You just set before it the right note and then align your pitch accordingly. How do you tune your heart away from ultimate affections for lesser things? How do you do that? You find a better affection. You find a better affection. Thomas Chalmers calls this the expulsive power of a new affection. And what he means is that it's only when Christ becomes the delight of our heart. It's only when Christ becomes our greatest joy. It's only then that our old lesser desires will lose their grip over us. It's only when you see Christ as beautiful and worship him as God that you can stop expecting anything else to be for you what only God can be for you. It's only when you see Christ as your greatest treasure that you can enjoy the money that you have with an incredibly loose grip because whether you have little or whether you have plenty, Christ is my treasure. It's only when you see Christ as ultimately beautiful that you will stop living under the tyranny of the bathroom scale and of the vanity mirror because Christ is my beauty. Now, that's how you tune your heart. How do you know, how can you assess if your heart is in tune? How can you assess that real quick? And then we're done. Verses 24 through 27. Look at this. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. What is he saying? If you want to know if your heart is in tune, look at, look at the words that you say. Look at the kind of speech that comes out of your mouth. Look at the way that you talk to other people. Jesus said in Luke chapter six that it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. How do you know if your heart is in tune with God and his ways, look at what you say. Verse 26, or sorry, verse 25. Let your eyes look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead. How do you know if your heart is in tune? Look at the things that get your attention. Look at the things that you love looking at. What kind of websites do you visit? 
What kind of shows do you watch? What are the things that you are delighted to set before your eyes? Look at what you say. Look at what you watch. Look at verse 20, 26. Carefully consider the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. What's he saying here? Look at your mouth, look at your eyes, look at your actions. The ways of your feet, the actions of your life. Look at the things that you do. How do you schedule your time? How much money do you, do you really commit to your hobbies? And the activities of your family. What does what you say, what does what you do say that you actually love? Because whatever you love will determine how you live. Church, when was the last time that you assessed the loves of your heart? When was the last time that you asked, why do I do what I do? Why do I value what I value? Why do I say the things that I say? Why do I look at what I look at? And what do these things say about what my heart is tuned towards? What you love determines how you live. So church, tune your heart and tune it often. Set your heart next to the tuning fork of the word of God and behold the beauty of Christ as God reveals himself in the scriptures And as you continue to behold the beauty of Christ, it will be the expulsive power of a new affection. Trust that the Holy Spirit will take God's word, show you Christ's beauty, and begin to shape and tune your heart to who God is. That tune your heart to his ways. And you will have wisdom to skillfully live in the nuances of life for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we join that old hymn writer's words. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune our hearts to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Oh, would you remind us of those streams of mercy? Would you remind us of the grace that we have been given in Christ? Would you set before our eyes his beauty? Holy Spirit, would you tune our heart over and over and over again to the beauties of Christ? Oh God, I pray that you would be our ultimate affection. That you would be what is most beautiful to our eyes, what is most pleasing to our ears, what is most satisfying to our bodies. Would we be a people, would we be a church whose lives resound with beautiful wisdom because we are tuned to Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.